I want to uh, welcome everybody to the OML podcast. I'm Mike Fina, the executive director of the Oklahoma Municipal League. Uh, Today we're going to, yes, once again, talk about COVID-related issues in Oklahoma and municipal government. But today I'm actually somewhat optimistic because uh, we're in a different phase of of our relationship with COVID. We're getting to the end of 2020, and maybe this is a good sign that 2021 is already looking up for us because uh, we're now to the phase where we're distributing vaccines in the state. And that's what the topic is going to be today. And we have a very special guest for for a couple of reasons. Uh, Mindy Spawn is uh, a regional administrative director for the Oklahoma Department of Health, but she is also the facilitator for the statewide vaccination plan. So she has all the answers for us on on how the vaccine is going get to ac- get out across the state. The other thing that is very exciting to have Mindy on is that you might, if you're an OML member, you might recognize the last name because Mindy is the wife of OML President J.D. Spawn. So we're very fortunate to, to have uh, uh, a president like J.D. And, and his incredible wife, Mindy, who's doing incredible things for the state. So Mindy, welcome to our OML podcast. I'm excited. I think this might be my first podcast. Oh, all right. Well, that makes me happy. This is This is a good place to start. So... Well, you have had a really interesting job over the over the last uh, several weeks uh, in in putting together the state's distribution plan. So, h- how do you feel it's going right now? Uh, it's just like you mentioned, Mike. It's exciting. This is uh, I have to say for the since March, uh, we have been running and every day working and working through testing, working through case investigation, working through things that you mentioned were very hard and still remain hard. And to have this light of vaccines show up and it's what those of us in public health are used to doing. And it, we know the prevention that it provides and the, the hope that it provides for hope getting back to some sense of normalcy. So I have to say these past few weeks have been very um, busy for me, but they're also extremely exciting that, like you said, there's a sense of maybe we're coming to some control measure of this pandemic. Yeah, I felt like Oklahoma, uh, you and I had this conversation quite a while ago um, and just keeping up with what's happening in the state. We were talking about vaccine distribution even before they were talking about the the emergency approvals of the vaccine. So I feel like we that it doesn't always happen in Oklahoma, but I kind of feel like in this instance we were ahead of the game. Do you do you get the same feeling? Um, yeah, I would say there's two pieces to that. The federal government has done a good job. Um, you know, it's rare to say that sometimes, <laughs> but it's true. Doesn't always it always isn't always said that way. So. <laughs> So this Operation Warp Speed piece, though the name kind of gives them gives it a sense of oh my gosh they're speeding through it. Um, it's not that they're being unsafe. It was they knew they needed to get a distribution line that meant something. They wouldn't have bottlenecks, and they went to the army and they said you all ship stuff across the world and you get it there in time to fight battles. Well, this is a battle. This is literally a battle that we're in a fight. And they they look at it that way. And it has helped. It has helped merge that science piece there at CDC and the science of the vaccine development with a logistics arm that's that so far, knock on wood, is working well. Um, and so they decided that 
they they wanted to see some pre-planning in action. And if anything, public health knows how to do is, you know, put a plan on paper. But um, when I signed on to and agreed to help with this, um, I don't like to put plans on paper that don't mean anything. And so we really collaborated in Oklahoma. And that's something in public health we we do well in, in, in Oklahoma is connect. And yes, so turf issues. Yeah, turf issues went out the door and we sat down with some municipalities, we sat down with local people, uh, scientists, you know, we sat down with our Oklahoma National Guard and um, really worked through this. Uh, you know, actually, I'm really reassured that um, we we did use the military approach. I, I had the uh, years ago, I worked for, when I worked for the state, a retired colonel, his name was Colonel Richard, and he was in charge of the Department of Central Services before it became OMES. Uh, and his background was logistics for all of Europe, for the entire military, for the Army, that is. And uh, being able to work under him and, and, and that logistical mindset that the military has, it actually makes me feel pretty good because I, I know that they're, that they, they do it better than anyone else. So that that's pretty cool that we we went that route. Uh, okay, so talking about Oklahoma, Oklahoma is an interesting state. We are we're not the most populated state out there, but we are a very large state. And I can imagine the that logistical piece of of trying to manage this very large landmass state to reach people in a lot of rural areas was probably difficult. Talk about the thought process going, going, uh, talking about how big Oklahoma is and, and getting the vaccine out. Well, uh, you know, I want to reassure people out there. I um, am from a town called Bug Tussle. So I, I get the rural part of Oklahoma. But I, I want to say something to really uh, talk about our public health system in Oklahoma. It's probably the best model for an emergency. It's a centralized system. And so we have a representation of public health employees across 68 counties. And then the counties that don't have them as an organized location, their neighboring county with a health department is responsible for their emergency response. And so I, I just want to say those founding people that put that public health code into place in the legislature were pretty smart to think of it that way, because for this model, it makes sense. And that was the best choice we had at first to make sure this first shipment and the subsequent next two or three that we're not just reaching one piece of the state that we are able to at least provide some level of vaccine across every public health district in the state so even as far away as the panhandle and then all the way to idaho um, there is an accessibility point for vaccine so the actual vaccine distribution, a, a big part of it are the, and, and we've already started to hear this uh, out there, the phase one, phase two, phase three. Uh, you guys had to sit down and really set some priorities on what groups were going to be in that. So I want you to kind of go through the phases. And, and I also, I, I think our listeners, and, and maybe it's just selfish for me, I like to know the thought process and how you come to these very critical decisions. Kind of talk about that as well. Well, I think it's important to talk about, we all sat down as a team and I, that collaborative team that I just talked about, they had like the governor's um, cabinet representation, public health, medical, um, National Guard, other agencies, um, we even had private, private physicians uh, weigh in. We sat down and came up with four tenants 
everything we do, we look at these tenants. And the first is we want to save lives. We want to maximize the benefit of this vaccine. And then the next tenant is we want to treat people with equal regard. And that's not just from an ethnic or racial component, which is extremely important, but it also is, you know, people with disabilities, our disabilities community, or our elderly, or geographically, like you just hit on. What's that, what's that look like? And then, of course, we don't want to waste vaccine. We want to do our best to make sure we're good stewards of the, pro the process and, and how that works and then account for it. So I think those are things that myself as a citizen want and also as, as a servant to make sure that we're providing. And so we talk about that um, literally every day. Every briefing that I have, we, we look at these tenants and make sure we're following that. So when you get into thinking about emergency response, I, I like to be very simple with this, and I'm sorry that it might come off as kind of flippant, but um, when you're on an airplane, remember what they tell you about the oxygen mask? Put yours on first. <laughs> so you can take care of that person. And so... That's the same concept here. We're working toward fighting a global pandemic. And that includes having the treatment that we can possibly provide, the best possible care that we can provide for people that are sick and are in our hospitals. And then it's also the mitigation piece. So our first responders in this fact, in this effort are, yes, our EMS, yes, our normal traditional first responders, but your public health are first responders in this type of an event. Because if we didn't have our county health nurses and we didn't have our public health team to work on those mitigation tools that we've been, you know, wrestling with for nine months, the, the case investigation, the testing and all those tools we've had up to this point, then you have to have them in place. So phase one is really targeted at what could we do? How do we maximize the benefit of this vaccine for the state of Oklahoma in the event we have a limited amount of vaccine? And so that's where you come into what's the biggest bang for your buck in saving lives? Well, it's our long-term care facilities for sure. And so that's why they're up there in that number one, along with their staff. And then also looking at who's providing that critical care at the bedside in our ICUs and, you know, these heroes that are in our hospitals that are getting up daily and facing trauma and facing, you know, just these these tragic events and wearing that PPE for 12 hours. That's who's getting it, you know? And then, the, of course, your public health uh, people mitigating the process. And then our EMS, because who do you think's traveling them from Godibo, Oklahoma, to wherever they need to go? You know, they're riding in that box with them for two hours. So they, you know, absolutely need to have that vaccine right off the bat. So Moving that, I hope that helps you kind of, you said the thought process. That's really where that phase one came into. And then it's moving through what are the populations of people uh, and what are the, the thinking about supply and how much vaccine we are getting forecasted for the state and what that's going to look like for us. Because with limited supply, again, you go back to let's maximize the benefit of this vaccine. And so that's where you move into phase two, where you have first responders, you have your healthcare in, um, organizations like urgent care, primary care, um, other locations that are doing the diagnosis and the testing and, you know, offering that service to, to people. 
then moving into 65 and older and people with comorbidities, that's a group of people that are at higher risk of severe complications from the coronavirus um, that we're seeing right now. So, I mean, I, I can walk through every one of those, but I would really suggest to whoever's listening out there, get on the state health department's website, read about it. Um, look at where those priorities fall. Um, if you don't really know where you might fall in there, um, call 211. They'll help you navigate that. They'll connect you to um, a resource that will help you figure out, hey, where would I fall in this in this process? So I I, I like the the process you, that you guys are going through, and and actually it makes perfect sense. Yes, the the healthcare workers should be right at the front of the line uh, for no other reason than that. I mean, they have not. I I don't think that our healthcare. Uh, in the whole country has gotten a break in the in the last 10 months from this and uh, we need to provide them protection so uh, I I don't think anyone is faulting the the healthcare people for getting at the very front of the line they need to be there there are some some critical areas in um, in municipal government Uh, one of the interesting ones that has come up and I've received this question several times from our members are critical uh, infrastructure workers are people that that make the water flow and the toilets flush are very important to our communities and and so uh, talk to our listeners about where those people would fit into the phases you know you say they're very important to our communities well you know what they're public health Um, that that's something I try to remind people when we talk about public health is all around you so you know making sure you have clean water making sure you have sewer systems at work that all came out of a public health whether it was a disaster or a discovery and that's kind of I like to remind people as we move through this pandemic this is just the next public health event we're learning from and so when you're talking about masks and you're talking about the things that we learn from it's just like all those other public health things we've learned and come before that have made as a society. So back to the person who is your water department person who absolutely is maybe the only guy that knows how to, you know, tweak the generator to make sure it works. He is extreme, extremely important um, to the process. So I would say that that person yes. would fall, you know, right in line with your first responder. But what I wouldn't say is everybody within that municipal municipal system would necessarily fall there. But I think those critical, absolutely critical to utilities and to us being able to um, have heat, have water, have those pieces, we can we can definitely look at that. So you think that 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 sounds like more of a phase two or early on in phase two would probably be where they fit in? Yes, okay. it's in phase two. That, that, and, you know, if we come enough. across the if we come across some things, Mike, that I can't answer for you, I'll make sure that I go back and work with the group that's just right outside this door and we'll come up with an answer for you. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate that. You guys have really been great to work with um, through this whole whole thing. I, the, the state, and listen, it, it, this, nobody was expecting this when we started 2020. And, and so I, I get a little frustrated when people are critical either of the health department or the governor's office or the, the, nobody expected this to happen. And to look what has happened in those 10 months and the programs that have been created almost instantaneously, the, the getting out $7 billion worth of CARES Act funding, that kind of, that, that is not an easy thing. So uh, 
I think people have done a fantastic job through this. Uh, yes, could we have been better in areas? Well, yeah, that's I, I doesn't everyday life we could be better in. But um, I think for what we had to work with, this state really did a good job. So well, thank you. Okay. I I agree. There's challenges, but the, I have to tell you some of some of the pieces we've struggled through have resulted in stronger relationships between agencies or stronger relationships between sectors like education and health. Um, I feel like we're going to be stronger on the on the backside of this for the relationships that we formed for our state. Oh, I absolutely agree. We even had that at, at municipal government. Uh, I think that people have realized the importance of local control um, that that our mayors and our city councils, our city managers had to have that ability to do what was right for their communities. And uh, now everybody will preach that, oh, local control is important until it gets in the way of whatever they're doing. Well, this was a real life situation that was life and death that uh, we needed the mayors and the city managers and the councils to be able to move quickly. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of leaders emerged through this. And I I, I always give my mayors credit. I I think the mayors stepped up on the front lines of of at least the policy debates and they took a lot of rocks but stood strong um, and did some pretty amazing things with mask mandates and and just the different policies that they put in. I think they did a good job and I hope they help make your job a little easier too. We've had we've had really great relationships with our municipalities and, you know, been able to work through issues. These aren't easy issues to work through. And so I think that that's you know, that's where I come at is sometimes we might not agree to the complete, but everybody's in it to make sure that people are safe and that we're getting information. And, you know, I, I, I told my staff from the very beginning. We might not have the answers, but we do have the ability to listen and have customer service and be responsive. Even if my response is, I don't know. (laughs) So, you know, I think sometimes that is what just makes people feel like we're in the game together. And it's true. We are. Uh, Since we're talking about municipal government today. um, So what, if anything, do our do our municipalities need to be doing right now to prepare to receive the vaccine? Um, How's that going to work? Uh, There's a few things I would recommend get on, get on the internet and get on the state health department's website, learn about the phases, learn where you have questions, learn about the vaccines that we know the information on like Pfizer. It's out. We're using it. Um, We should have information for Moderna and have Moderna in the state next week. That means, you know, that just assumes that everything goes well with the federal approvals. Um, And so learn about that vaccine, share that information with your employees so that they have a chance to read about it and maybe get their questions answered. Um, And then start thinking about how to connect with either your county government, your county health department, or eventually we're gonna have private physicians, urgent cares, other, other opportunities to schedule a vaccination clinic. And so it could be something, you know, maybe smaller uh, municipalities could say, hey, please go get your vaccine at your normal um, doctor's office. And that could be an absolute uh, reality that they could get that. But if we do need for larger municipalities to schedule special um, points of distribution or clinics, that is usually done through the local county health departments or through, like you said, maybe a private provider that they work with. So the other thing I would say. Yes, is make a list. 
start a list of, of the people that are, you know now are definite i'm going to take it if there's a list of people that are um kind of on the fence until they're able to read about it which is absolutely perfect um then just begin thinking about because when you start scheduling that clinic you can give your provider an idea of how many people we're talking about so uh, we recently held a, a webinar that we invited a bunch of municipal officials to get this same same information. And, and one of the terms that came up that I actually thought was pretty cool uh, was strike team. <laughs> Tell us how the, the, the whole idea of the strike team works and, and how municipalities can take advantage of that. Well, um, we in public health, we call them strike teams now, according to like, my fire and military uh, advisors in there, that's not a strike team. But just let me tell you, um, it's a group of people who can come out and give you the vaccine and check you in for the vaccine. So um, really it's about taking a clinic mobile to you. Well, I like that idea. Now, now I have a vision of them like Navy SEALs showing up, but they're carrying syringes and they're gonna eradicate. Well, I wouldn't be against the Navy SEALs coming in here and helping me. <laughs> Well, you know, the other person that was on that was Matt Stacy, and he's from the National Guard. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we do have the National Guard on our back. So we do. And I just want to do a plug for them. They've been with us since the beginning. I mean, to the point of carrying specimens all over the state um, and to like with this plan helping me organize and think and push things through. And, and it's so nice to sit at the table with people who have, you know, operated in large missions and, and really thought about the logistics. It's so helpful. What a great group of men and women we have here in Oklahoma in that National Guard. We really do. We're, we're fortunate. Our, our National Guard is fantastic. It's always had great leadership. And uh, so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they're right in the middle of this. Uh, and it makes sense. So they're and, you know, they're there when emergencies happen in Oklahoma all the time. And this is might be the worst emergency in my lifetime, um, a lot of people's lifetime. So, well, OK, so we, we got an idea. We know that we're going to phase this out. We're in the we're in phase one. Phase two is going to be happening. It sounds like almost simultaneously with phase one. We probably won't even know when we switch over. It sounds because. It, uh, yeah, I, uh, I look for us to be in phase two by the end of the year, first week of January. That's great. Um, and something that you did say on our webinar that that um, it, it, talk about what what it what it is going from phase one to phase two and and how you what the metrics you guys are using when you move into phase two you're looking at a much larger population you need to serve and so there's two pieces of that well three really um you need to have enough vaccine you've, you've got to have enough vaccine to be able to provide it um and number two enough providers or touch points in a community where um, population, the population at, at Hull or that group would have maybe multiple opportunities um, or locations to get that vaccine. And then what we have planned for for many years in public health across every jurisdiction are these large throughput type models where we can safely and effectively put large numbers of people through a clinic where we could vaccinate them very quickly. In my district, which I live in Ardmore, um, I'm very fortunate to have a great relationship with the Ardmore Fire Department. And for many years, we have practiced our flu shot drive throughs through their fire departments. And we are able to do like 4,500 vaccines in four hours. And so 
you know, this model is different because this vaccine is different in that you have to have a waiting time after you take the vaccine so that we can just observe and make sure you don't have any, you know, complications. And so that allows us, you know, or I guess it challenges us to not have to push out so fast. We've got to figure out different models. So there's those kinds of considerations and planning happening and each jurisdiction will be different. Every community has different offerings or different ways they're gonna uh, work with their partners. And I wanna be really clear with that. I, I am up here facilitating the plan and I could not be doing that if I did not have the partners that I have in District 8. I have emergency managers, I have city and county employees, our highway patrol, um, we have practiced so much and we work so closely together, you know, they're able to help my team stand up and move. And, you know, they don't need me at all. I don't know if I should take that as good or bad, but, um, you know, I think that that's just a plug to our partners. We're in this together. And just because you're not public health or you're not national guard that we just mentioned, everybody has played a huge role in this. Our hospitals, I mean, they are just the heroes of this. Absolutely. Uh, now we there's. I don't think there's a, an award big enough that we can can hand them when this is all said and done, um, like Heisman Trophy level uh, for everybody because it uh, everybody has done a fantastic job. And I'm proud when you say that because a lot of those people you're talking about are municipal professionals that are that are in that. So I'm glad that we're we're part of the process, and and I'm just thankful that we have such talented people at all levels of, of government in Oklahoma. So. Okay, so um, we, we talked about the phases. Uh, oh, there is something I'm a little curious about the phase. So by the time we get to phase three, now we're 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 looking at more of almost the entire population when we get through that. So um, if all goes well, what are we thinking on a time frame for that? And I know that that's a loaded question because there's a lot of things that could happen wrong, but. <laughs> Well, good. I'm glad you said that because there are, I mean, literally overnight, like I was here till eight o'clock. And then by the time I get here this morning, a couple of things have changed on us. So with that being said, I look for us to move through this. Um, I for sure into March, I feel like we'll be close to a phase three. You heard it here first, folks. She said it's all gone in March. No, that's not what we said. <laughs> but you, know, you have to you have to remember this too right now we're just in shot one so when we move into january and february we're not only doing people's first shot we're also doing everybody's second shot so that's a logistical challenge and then number two or seven or 25 whatever it is that i've <laughs> been talking about um you've got the early or the late adopters so you've got the people that yeah don't really want it in december but february yep I'm ready. You know, so you have that level of population that's going to come come into it, too. I've really been worried about that second shot. Uh, I I feel like there, there's and I'm sure you guys are accounting for this, but it's hard enough to get people to take the first shot and then reminding them. And you're in an interesting window. Talk about the window of when you can take the second shot. Well, by March, we very well could have three, maybe four different vaccines on the market. So that's a logistical cha challenge in itself. And each person has to take their second shot must be from the same manufacturer. So if you get Pfizer first shot, you have to take Pfizer as your second shot. Um, one of the things I, I have asked our providers to make clear is that at the point of shot, 
at the point that you get your vaccine. That's usually when you're going to listen to your provider. They're about to poke you with a needle. Um, talk to that person about what the efficacy of number one shot is. And it isn't necessarily going to cover you as well as that second shot. And really talk to them about the importance of going ahead and scheduling their second shot and showing up for that second shot. So, you know, Mike, I would challenge my partners like you. Make sure people understand the importance of that second shot. Um, you know, counter people who, who say that ah, the second shot's not important or, or whatever is going to come out, you know, as we move forward. Be, be our mouthpiece as well. Absolutely. And we, we will take on that, that uh, challenge. We'll, but I, I, it does worry me that, that we're going to have a lot of people that don't go get that second shot and we're going to be trying to follow up. Okay, so I know there's a window, uh, what did you say, up to 20, 21 or 24 days? I don't want to confuse people. You tell me. What we know right now is that Pfizer is a 21 day. Moderna is expected to be a 28 day window. Okay, and, and there's some rules on that too, because you, you have a, a little bit of flexibility when you can get that, but you can't take it too early. But can uh, t talk about that, and I got another question. Sure. Um, we kind of see a little flexibility, kind of a four-day window. Um, it, obviously, it's best to do it right at 21 days, but um, there isn't a problem with taking it a little too late. You don't have to retake the vaccine as far as what Pfizer says. Um, you know, each vaccine has a different set of, of uh, conditions. Okay. You, you caught my follow-up question because that's what I was going to ask. And what happens if you wait too long? So as long as you don't take it early and maybe you wait 10 days a little bit late, that's okay. But, uh, but so that's not critical that you're, at, as long as you're not inside the window, but if you're outside. You, of you want your body to have that opportunity to have the best immune response you can so that you get the, the most bang for your buck in that vaccine of getting those antibodies ready. All right. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, all right. So just kind of, kind of wrapping up, um, we, we talked a little bit, um, just what, um, on the phases and, and what's going to happen next in phase three. So let's look a little bit further out. If, if things go well and I don't, you don't, it doesn't have to be perfect. So what, what does six months from now look like, uh, from the health department standpoint? Well, I hope I'm on vacation. Um, no, I, I feel like I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I'm in the heat of it right now. And I'm focused on getting shots into people, answering questions. Um, I tell, I'm just going to tell you what I tell my mom and dad. I feel like in August, we're going to be able to take a deep breath. And feel yes. a little more comfortable with where we're headed. You didn't say which year of August. We are talking 2021, right? Hopefully 2021. <laughs> uh, so when you say that you're going to go on vacation, I need to know because this is really critical. Everybody wants to know. Is it with JD or without JD? Well, that's still left up to be recited. No, he's been, he's been super duper great during this. And I just, you know, my family, uh, our daughter hides my phone sometimes. I, you know, my phone, I've given that number out to the world. And, you know, she's like, mom, please, I'm trying to tell you something. So uh, they, they've been through it with me. I appreciate them. 
Well, listen, we really appreciate everything you're doing for the state, and and we appreciate you taking time to uh, not only be on the podcast, but you you took a major port, part of your day to, to be on a webinar with municipal officials. Uh, you're you're doing a fantastic job for Oklahoma, and we really appreciate you. Uh, our guest today has uh, been Mindy Spawn uh, with the State Health Department, and we really appreciate her being on the program and look forward to uh, new episodes after the first of the year. So we want to thank everybody for listening and, and being a part of this. So thank you. Thank you.